Podstarter. Every podcast starts somewhere. So, Reese, who did you talk to today? I spoke to Ben Partridge. He's a comedy writer and performer based in London, uh, the UK one, not the Ontario one. And he is uh, responsible for a show called the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. I listened to some of your interview with him where it was, the first note I took was, he's got a marketing problem, which is funny because he doesn't have a marketing problem. He's got uh, wonderful success, great uh, number of downloads, uh, great podcast. But as he was telling us the elevator pitch of his podcast, it sounded like, well, I'm not interested in beef and dairy, so why would I subscribe to a beef and dairy podcast? It is not overtly a comedy show. It kind of looks like it should be a podcast that's being put out by people in the, the beef and dairy industry. Um, and that was a, a conscious decision by Ben. He wanted people to kind of wonder on that basis. <laughs> and I know he I know he really struggles with trying to explain what his show is. Uh, and a lot of the a lot of the marketing that's worked for him is word of mouth, also through his network. So the weird thing about his show is that it's it's hard to pin down, it's hard to explain, but it, it, it's, it's really good. And he's got a really good audience that is really passionate and incredibly active on social media, um, sharing in-jokes, and uh, people really love the kind of content on what he does. What type of insights do you think we can share with our listeners? So, firstly, editing. Ben goes down the route of heavily editing everything he does. And he purposefully chose to create a format that wasn't necessarily a conversation and then trim it down. It's heavily constructed in the edit. He uses music, he uses fake adverts. Um, so there's a really interesting lesson to be learned from him there. Um, then the network, which I've touched upon, uh, the network, the kind of informal independent network that he's part of that allows him to, that has allowed him to really grow beyond um, and generate a huge audience in North America. And also, um, he makes a really good point about how podcasting is easy, but is also not easy, um, and explains why in detail <laughs> that people should really think about some of his points that he does bring up. And one of my favorite things about his podcast is how he treats advertising. So his sponsorship deal with ZipRecruiter, he has come up with a very creative way of integrating adverts within his podcast in a way that nobody else is um, and making it funny and making it fun not at the expense of the advertiser but just in a very surreal British way that somehow seems to just work um, I can't even explain it <laughs> you'll have to listen to the interview to to get your head around it or to one of his shows to really understand but it's is is weird and bizarre and wonderful and it works for me. <laughs> uh, all right, Reese. Uh, well, we're looking forward to the uh, conversation you're going to have with uh, Ben Partridge with the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. Podstarter. Every podcast starts somewhere. Uh, hi, Ben. Thanks so much for coming and telling us your story. Um, the Beef and Dairy Network podcast is. Um, kind of a, a, a quirky British show, but could you kind of describe it for somebody who may have never heard of you before? Yeah, sure. Um, whenever I get asked this, it's always hard because it, it, this is the, the key problem with it is that it sounds rubbish when you describe it to someone else. Um, <laughs> because it's that's kind of part of the joke really is that it's just a really absurd thing to do. But essentially it's... Um, a how do I say it? I've got a little phrase I use. It's an imagined 
industry podcast for a fictional beef and dairy industry. And it's a comedy. Um, and yeah, it's it's not a good elevator pitch, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the way I put it is kind of like, is a some weird alternative reality and it's it's just the voice of the beef and dairy industry in a in a weird version of our own reality. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I'm really bad at describing it, and I I obviously need to get better at that. The, one of the guiding principles when I started making it was that I wanted it to sound like it might be a real thing. So it's not obviously a comedy show right from the off. And I think that means that some people like try it for twenty seconds and then they go, oh no, it is it is just a real podcast for the beef industry and then turn it off and like i've seen people on twitter like trying to recommend it to their friends and them going like oh no i thought that was just about the beef industry and while it is about the beef industry it's not about the beef industry no no it's yeah yeah i think uh, you know i I guess as i i remember watching the office for the first time without really knowing what it was and questioned for the Mm. the first five minutes whether it was kind of real or not but it's quite nice to surprise (laughs) it's quite nice to surprise people with that yeah i mean the u.s office which is now more popular than the original one is more obviously a comedy show to begin with whereas the uk one i think you can kind of forget that it did look just like a documentary like when i started beef and dairy network i was worried that i was essentially parodying something that didn't exist which is a problem in comedy because you know the reason the office was so good as you say is because there were loads of programs at that time that looked and felt exactly like that whereas i'm not really aping anything that exists but people seem to understand what it's meant to be which is a kind of odd thing i think yeah and i suppose like those podcasts do exist now though as well i'm sure there are some legitimate beef and dairy podcasts you know, industry. Yeah, there's one that I listen to quite a lot now. When I started out, I don't think there were, or if there were, they were so terribly produced that they were like unlistenable and terrible. But now there's one I listen to every week called Beef Buzz. Wow. Uh, this is your Beef Buzz with me, Ron something or other, and he's from Oklahoma, I think. It's it's a wonderful listen. It's also a great title as well. The Beef Buzz. Yeah, it's really good. Exactly. <laughs> so you're just, just just for listeners to understand can you tell us a bit about your background now you're a comedy writer and performer but you've also um you've done a lot of work in radio before you did the podcast yeah so when i first left university i guess i sort of wanted to be a comedian or a comedy writer but that's not a, a real job is it it's not like a thing that you can tell your parents that you want to do well didn't you went to the london school of economics as well so it's a bit of a leap i guess yeah, I guess so, yeah. But I mean, lots of people, there's a rich tradition of people going to university and then never ever using their qualifications ever again. That's kind of... Uh, that's know, more that's, common than not, I guess. I think in Britain is, I get the sense that maybe in North America, because it's so expensive, people maybe feel like they also try and use it a bit more, but I don't, I, that, <laughs> that's based on nothing. But, and, but I, you know, I did have to try and get a proper job. And so... I was kind of interested in trying to make radio documentaries. I think, looking back, I think just because it seemed like a quite a sort of respectable thing to be doing. Um, and I did like it, you know. And so I did a bit of, a little bit of work in that kind of area, which set me up for being able to edit and, you know, and, and also seeing how documentaries get made was quite instrumental in then making this show. I sort of make it as if it were a documentary, really. So that thing of going out and recording lots of, audio and then editing it down quite a lot so you know if you make a documentary you might record hours of audio and then that that all comes down to like 27 minutes or whatever i sort of do the same thing which i think is is what sets it apart from a lot of other comedy stuff which 
isn't kind of so edit heavy. Yeah, so you, you, you're less kind of, let's have a conversation or talk about funny topics in a room. Yeah, you're it's much more packaged and polished in that sense. Yeah, and I, when I started it, I guess that was the reason why I wanted to start it was, um, though, you know, comedy has is, is been a big thing in podcasting for ages since the beginning of podcasting, but most of them are just people sort of having a chat. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with those at all. And I listen to lots of them and they are very funny. But I just kind of felt like, my the the way I'm good at comedy is going away and being very controlled and thinking about it and then writing it and editing it and that kind of stuff, um, and that that isn't catered for if you if it's just like three guys in a room. I wanted to do something else, and it, I think it was just kind of luck that actually not many people were doing that kind of st- thing at the time, and so people were like, "Oh, this seems like a new thing," and it's not, you know, it's not a. It's not hugely innovative, but just in the world of podcasting. But I, I, it's worked for you because, I mean, just to just to qualify you as someone to talk to you in terms of like you've won multiple awards now for it. And I mean, what kind of audience have you got? It's large. Yeah. I mean, it's not. I think some people think it's larger than it is. The podcast does, you know, quite well, as you say, it's won some awards and um, it got picked up by BBC Radio 4. So it was broadcast on the radio, which is kind of was a nice thing to happen, you know, and um like most of my audience is actually in the USA. Um, and so it's just nice to feel like, I don't know, international. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that feels fun. But it's just like, it's mad to me that, you know, I'll get emails off someone who lives in like Arizona saying that they really enjoy it. I just, you know, that's such a, I don't know, it's such a rare and fun thing to be able to do, you know? So j- just to wind it back, how how did you first get into the podcast? At what point did you go, I'm going to pick up a microphone, I'm going to record something and, and put something together? Um, I've I've always been a, a big fan of podcasts, basically. Like way back in, I'm, I can remember listening to them in 2006. So I think that's quite near the beginning of podcasting as a thing. And so from then I sort of knew that it was something I wanted to do. And obviously I was interested in making radio and it just felt like, oh, that's fun. But it was always in the back of my mind and I'd never got around to it. Um, but then there's that experience of working for on a BBC show, for example. It's not your baby. You can't do whatever you want. You have to skew it to a specific audience. Um, you know, all those things which are, there's nothing wrong with those things, but that's what you've got to do when you're making a show for a radio station, right? They've got an audience and they've got expectations and that kind of stuff. It became more and more attractive to me just to make something that was really my own thing, especially because as a comedy writer, Certainly when you start out, the way to make a living is to almost erase your own voice and and get really good at writing in someone else's voice and writing for someone else. And that's the job. And that's something I'm quite proud of being able to do is like kind of turn up, work out kind of what the the tone is of whatever show I'm working on and then trying to write to that brief. And you can get getting really good at that is a good way of getting work, but it's also quite a good way of completely drowning your own <laughs> like voice or artistic uh, tone of your own if you know what I mean yeah you kind of get caught up you kind of get caught up in trying to absorb those styles you lose track of of what what you laugh at I guess in that sense because you're thinking about the audience more yeah and I think it's just a great opportunity to do whatever you want without having to ask any anyone else's permission I never assumed that I'd still be going five years on with the same show I just sort of thought oh this will be fun um and then it kind of just did a bit better than I thought thought it might really and how did you start out? Did you just go and buy a microphone and then kind of just Yeah, it was um it was my it was my birthday and my mum said, What do you want for your birthday? And I said, I want a microphone so I can try my podcast. And so she 
sent me, I think, £65. Uh, and I bought a Blue Yeti, which is like the yeah. well-known, everyone buys it as their first podcast mic. Podcast mic? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, Yeah, it's like a solid, solid starter kit. Yeah, it's not actually, I, I'm not a huge fan of it, to be honest, but... Um, I think for as a as a beginner, it's quite useful because you can literally plug it straight into your laptop with the USB cable. So actually, it was very good to me. And then I'd record my interviews down Skype using Skype, and that was the basis of the show. And it would be every show would have a little interview I did over Skype, and then some stuff I recorded myself. And and that was the beginning of it. And then I slowly started buying extra bits of kit, which would allow me to do different things. And now I will now that there's a bit of money coming in through the podcast, I will pay to go into studios for. A, an hour or so and record in there so but yeah to begin with it's just you and your microphone in your bedroom really and that's all you need yeah yeah and hide under a duvet yes i i now uh i create a kind of duvet fort out of a clothes area and i then connect that to my wardrobe which i <laughs> then put a microphone inside and that kind of works but i'm really i'm really jealous <laughs> of north americans because on um youtube and stuff north americans always seem to have these gigantic closets which are like another room that's attached to their bedroom the style is like walk-in closet but also you get like a basement in your house so you have like all these all this like another floor of your house just for whatever you want to use it for like <laughs> yeah i'm on member i'm on um like facebook podcaster groups and there'll always be some person who's just starting their podcast and they're like i've built a studio in my basement and i'm like oh man i'm like a you know i could call myself a professional podcaster and i'm still like hunkering down in my corner of my tiny room in London with my, with a bloody duvet of my head. Um, yeah, but you you kind of like you know I think that's more achievable in London. <laughs> like you're lucky you've got a wardrobe in London. That's... Yes, well, yeah, yeah. Many people would be living in the wardrobe exactly with, with no other access to any other space. Um, and I'm sure that's the same in uh, you know New York or Toronto or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why. I'm just jealous. It always seems like Americans or North Americans have got some sort of huge barn in their on their property that <laughs> they can do whatever they want with. <laughs> and what what was the hardest thing for you at like the at this stage? Did did obviously with the radio background, um, mm. that was that was something you were confident with, and you were doing something that was a passion project aside from from the day job. So you had the energy for it. But was there anything that really surprised you that was a lot harder than you thought? I guess. Well, I think I circumvented a very common problem that people have when they start out. Because I had some experience of doing radio work, I was quite keenly aware of just how long it all takes. And even though, you know, as I said, podcasting is easy in the sense that it can just be you in your bedroom with the microphone, it, it does take much longer to edit and put together than I think people imagine if they have no experience. And I think because of that, some people go, right, I'm going to do this show every week. It's coming out every Thursday afternoon. And they commit themselves to this crazy sh schedule that they very, very quickly realize that they can't hit. Because I knew that, that it does take a long time, or rather that I wanted to take a long time over editing it and making sure it was good, I decided that the release schedule would be monthly, and it still is once a month. I'm so, so glad I did that because I, I kind of don't understand how people manage to put out a weekly podcast. Uh, I just don't get it. Like It's so hard. <laughs> it's so much work. Um, or it's you have to not do too much editing and just like throw it out, and that's okay depending on what kind of what your what the what your podcast is. But that kind of wasn't what I wanted to do. But there were times where you you know you you've made you know eight or nine episodes and 
no one really is listening. <laughs> uh, and you just have to, you know, you have to keep faith that what you're making is good and that it might find an audience and all that kind of stuff. And I think that is tough for basically every podcaster. And, and did you have an idea of who your audience was or did you kind of like put much thought to it or were you just creating stuff and throwing it out there and seeing what happened? Um, yeah, the latter, I think. I didn't think too hard about it. I catch myself thinking, oh, Ben, you should be doing something more concerted to market this or like you should be thinking about ways of putting this in front of people. And I kind of don't. It's all just grown quite organically and obviously through the network, which really has been the godsend for, for that. But I, I don't really have any answers when it comes to that. I think it's probably getting harder as well as there are more and more podcasts coming out. It's really, I don't know really how people find podcasts these days. I'm trying to think how I find podcasts and I guess it's just people recommending them to me. It is like, it's so crowded and there's so many podcasts that are on the listings that aren't even making shows anymore that are just still being hosted. But I think word of mouth is, is the only thing, is the only way to do it really. And the network you're on kind of works on a word of mouth model, I guess. I think it's about your definition of success. And I think, you know, I wasn't going, I want millions of people to listen to this. I was just going, I want to make this and I want this to exist. Um, and, and that meant that I was happy to keep going. I think if I had started and I was, it was all about, you know, getting in, in, into a certain number of ears over a certain amount of time, I think very quickly I might have just got quite jaded and stopped doing it. So I think maybe the lesson there is just to make sure it's something that you would almost be happy doing if, you know, only five people listen to it, which is a pretty tall order, I think. Yes, there's a lot, there's a big commitment to those five people. It, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you got to, they should at least pay you for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at the time when kind of like networks are starting to dominate podcasting, tell us a bit about mm. your, your network that you're part of. Yeah, so I'm part of something called Maximum Fun, or Max Fun for short. And it's the brainchild of a guy called Jesse Thorne, who's, um, you know, he's not old. He's like under 40, certainly, uh, mid-30s maybe. That's definitely um, not old. <laughs> but he's been, well, I, the reason I was saying that is because he's been doing podcasting kind of since the dawn of podcasting. So I think his show, which is now called Bullseye, which is a very, very good interview show, has been going in some form since he was basically 18. I think he started it when he was at college. Wow. So despite the fact he's, as I say, not old, he is one of the most experienced podcasters probably on earth, you know? He, you know, he, for example, re told Mark Maron what kit he needed to buy, you know, when Mark Maron wanted to start his podcast and all that kind of stuff. So he set up a, a network, which was his podcast, Bullseye, and then various other ones. And slowly they've added more and more podcasts and in general they're all kind of either comedy or cultural stuff so like film podcasts or there's one about wrestling and kind of like people commentating on culture and then they, they took my podcast on three or four years ago the basis of it is just them saying look you know i still own my podcast but you go on it and basically cross promote with other podcasts on the network so i now carry adverts for other podcasts on the network they carry adverts for my podcast and that leads to a kind of cross-pollination yeah, and the, the the network's got to a stage now where there are people who like trust that any new show that comes on the network will probably be worth their time, you know, because they they sort of trust the taste of the network and, and of Jesse who started it. So there's kind of there's a kind of a quality filter as well, I guess. Yeah, exactly, and I think yeah, and, and there's also a kind of shared sensibility amongst the shows. You know, when I started on the on the network, I had a small number of listeners in the UK. 
Um, and then like overnight, I just picked up like several thousand listeners who just kind of were people who listened to other shows on that network who went, oh, I'll give this a go. And that's basically like the core of my listenership, I would say. Joining the network gave me this like base core of listeners, which basically was the beginning of the podcast being like a kind of serious thing that I was started putting some proper time into, if you know what I mean. And at what, what point did you kind of realize that you, you, you were onto something good and that this was more than just you, you know, trying something out and it was actually um, a demand, I suppose? You know, sometimes people would send me tweets or like even friends would send me a text message or something and just say, oh, that was really funny. That's actually very encouraging. And you go, oh, that's good, you know. There, there was a breakthrough moment in terms of going, oh, okay, I kind of get what the show is now. So if you listen to the first, I don't know, six or so episodes, I think they're quite different from the rest of them and they're not, they're, they're pretty good. I, 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 stand, I stand by them. I think they're worth listening to, but I sort of realized what the show could be after a while. And I think that also coincided with me buying some technology which allowed me to do other things. So I think I think it's like episode six, I bought this Zoom recorder that I'm currently recording into now, the Zoom H5. Um, but before that, it was everything was done through me talking and then down a Skype line, whereas this allowed me to go and record like on location. So I did an episode where um, I go and talk to a guy who's a character who's in the show called Eli Roberts, who's this kind of psychopathic slaughterhouse owner. So that was the first time I was able to like get out of the studio, so to speak, in, in, in the world of the show. And I go to his house and then he kidnaps me and then we get in the car and he takes me off in the car and then it finishes with him uh, strapping me into a homemade space rocket that he's made. And then we like blast into space. And... It was a, it was like, it was like a watershed moment in terms of like thinking like, oh yeah, we can literally, I can literally do anything in this show now. Well, that's why audio is so brilliant because I could literally have that idea, go and record it and put it together in a matter of days. Whereas, you know, if you're making a TV show or a movie and you go, right, now the character's going to be kidnapped and they're going to go into space, you know, that's like months of work for someone. <laughs> But realizing that, you know, it's as easy as doing anything else from an audio perspective. But I think also that episode, a lot of listeners were like, oh, that's great. And it made me realize that there was an appetite just like to push the envelope a bit as much as possible. It sort of stopped being this show that had a very set format. And then I realized I could do anything with the format and do really stupid stuff. And I think it was that episode that was listened to by Jesse at Max Fun, which was the one where he was like, Oh, that's great. So it just felt like a really, it was like a really good episode that made me realize what I could do and also got people on board. Like every kind of show is slightly different in the tone and you kind of change genres and styles quite a lot. Yeah, I sort sort of realized that because it's quite fluid, I can do a whole episode that's kind of a pastiche of a different kind of media genre, I guess. So you can do like a roundtable discussion or you could do a documentary or you could do one. I did one recently that was like um, that was like a phone in quiz show, basically. But I think it's that thing of what I worked when I said earlier that I was worried that I was parodying a thing that didn't exist. I've kind of realized that what the show is really is it's parodying just various kinds of media coverage. Yeah, because you've done things like making fun of social media influencers. You've done like, you know, radio documentaries. Yeah, exactly. And there's one that where like I interviewed a, um, a character who's a YouTuber and that felt like a really, like that's an episode I'm really proud of because it feels like a really good, like satirical look at 
the culture of YouTube. From but through the lens of beef. Yeah, well, I sort of realised I can I can turn the lens of beef onto anything, and that's something that is very hard to explain to people who haven't heard the show. That it's not really about the beef industry. It's like a kind of weird portal through which we can do an episode about anything. And you get a lot of participation online. Like I noticed that on like Twitter, for instance, you kind of have those moments on social media that your listeners seem to jump on. It's a long story, but there's an episode where there's there's a kind of phone in bit where in the world of the show, we've asked listeners to call in to the answer machine and leave um, a message saying what their favorite meal is. And basically the joke is that every single one of them has said rich beef sausages. And that became a bit of a running joke online. And then, yeah, it wasn't actually me. Like, it was just like uh, Sainsbury's, which is a big supermarket in the UK. They did uh, something where they'd gone, hey, everyone, what's your favorite thing to have for tea or, or something like that? And a listener, I can't remember who it was, but it wasn't me, uh, replied rich beef sausages and then sent that to me and went, let's get this going or something. So I retweeted it and suddenly like hundreds of people <laughs> were like spamming it essentially with the words rich beef sausages. And yeah, I love that. I mean, I just love that kind of stuff. Yeah, it kind of it kind of shows like that you're having fun, but it's kind of like a community of people who are just yeah taking taking the jokes and then like respinning them in social media. It's, it's got there's got to be really rewarding for you from like just knowing that you were just experimenting with a microphone at the start and then to be in this place where you are now. Yeah, it's brilliant. And um, I guess with those like running jokes, my I've got to be careful with them because my worry is that like there's the kind of vocal group of people online who obviously like them and I like them as well but there's a temptation then just to lean on them and then you end a lot of comedy shows have gone the wrong way haven't they when they've just kind of realized that people like the catchphrases and then just kept doing them until everyone's sick until everyone's sick of them you know I try to balance up like hitting the the notes of the of the running jokes and then making sure I'm also coming up with new things that can become new running jokes one of the one of the other kind of running gags, and this is one of the interesting things, is you you, you have sponsorship by ZipRecruiter. Yes, but you've you know there's kind of two ways of doing it with monetization. You've obviously got slots where um, adverts are, are plonked in automatically, depending on where the listener is or the kind of their their, their profile. Yeah, or there's the kind of the ones where podcasters do the advertisements themselves and really um, give a much more detailed or personal approach to them. Yes. What you've done is kind of spin it so that you've created a recurring character and a recurring plot line with Zip Recruiter called Slash Beef and there's kind of a sub-story that just happens in your podcast. So you've kind of spun that on his head and been playful with it, but it, it works. And I'm guessing Zip Recruiter are happy because they're, they're still with you. So Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got no idea how happy or unhappy Zip Recruiter are. Um, I hope they'd be happy with it because it's, it's, you know it's um, it's uh, people like it, but I, it, that just came out of really even taking one. I was a bit like oh, I was a I was a bit I don't know what the word is slightly reluctant just to go you know because ultimately you know some people take against adverts. I've got no problem with it. I, I think people now understand that if they want to listen to their shows that they like, you know, money's got to come in somehow, and that's the way to do it. So. I think people are, are are fine with it, but at the same time, I just I had this slightly queasy feeling about it, and I was like, oh, I I don't really I can't wholeheartedly do this, or can I, and all this kind of stuff, you know. Especially as you say, there's two types. There's the type where you run a, a pre-existing advert, and then there's the type where you have to read the advert yourself. And I think there's this feeling that the the 
host reading the advert themselves is kind of more valuable because I think if the host is reading it, I think there's more of a sense that they will listen to it. Or I think that's the, that is the idea behind it. Essentially, I was just thinking, I want to make this fun. Like I want to, this, this, this now has, is going to be in the show, but let's try and use this as an opportunity to have some fun as well, because why not? You know, it seems like a good idea. Yeah, I came up with this little character. Again, it's very hard to describe, but basically the ZipRecruiter ad finish is the bit I have to read out that they send. Finishes with a, a URL, which is ziprecruiter.com slash beef. And it occurred to me that slash beef sounds like a, the name of a kind of 80s action hero. And then immediately I could have heard his voice and that he would have that kind of like, I'm slash beef type, type voice. And I was like, oh, we can do a little kind of mini action hero little mini scene at the end of each one and i to be honest i didn't i didn't know if it was going to work to to begin with and then people in general just seem to actually really like him and (laughs) and i guess it's no different from you know adverts on telly that we used to like i remember i used to really love adverts on telly when i was a kid i used to love all the adverts they were almost to me as good as the shows yeah it's made me realize that you can sort of have fun with adverts and people can actually quite like them if you just find a creative way to uh to kind of package them i don't know if it drives more people towards ZipRecruiter, but there we are <laughs> what do you think is the secret ingredient of your show uh, if there is one it's about collaborating with people who are really really good so it's you know it's not just my work um the mainstay of the podcast is recording improvised interviews in character with other largely comedians a big part of it is collaborating with people who are brilliant and i i managed to do that and i've got lots of uh, friends and associates who are really really good and so i think that's essentially you know centrally important is that you work with good people and i managed to do that and i'm very pleased and happy that they want to work with me um and i think i think it's it's uh, as i've said already it's about for me it's about editing it's about there are lots of lots of lots of lots of very very funny people in the world who can sit down and record funny stuff uh I think the difference in my show, and I'm not, I'm not unique in doing this by any means, but I will then sit down for hours and 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 edit it down so it feels as short and as tight as possible and I get rid of all of the stuff that's only half funny so that you're, what you're left with is just the stuff that's really killer, I think. Well, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I don't know, though. It's, it feels really horrible saying why you think the thing you make is good. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, it's very disciplined, it's very tight. You, you've got a good gag rate and you, you know, let's say you, if you're quite ruthless with your own work and trim out the things you think that aren't carrying their own weight. That's then, it. And, you know, and, you know you've, you've done editing for radio and telly and it's, it's those things that you have to internalise those lessons like, you know, the audience can't miss what they've never heard. You know, so you're sitting there going oh, but I actually really like this bit, but it's a bit long. And you just go, well, the audience will never miss this because they've never heard it. You know, all those little lessons that you learn when you're editing stuff. I think it's really good for podcasters to learn those principles uh, and to realise that their show can only get better by editing, you know. There's two sides to it, isn't there? Because also sometimes I get messages from people who say, oh, I wish your episodes were longer because they are, you know, using podcasts to get through maybe long days where they're i don't know doing a relatively boring manual job and they're just using podcasts to kind of keep their mind ticking over you know um there's a there's a guy who 
tweeted me and he said that he was listening to it while I think plowing a field or <laughs> planting a field. Basically, he was on a tractor, basically, just for hours going up and down this field and listening to podcasts to like, you know, keep him interested through the day. And I think a lot of people use podcasts in that way. And so those people, for them, they want podcasts that are like three hours long, you know? And those podcasts exist. You know, the Joe Rogan show is, is not one I listen to or particularly like, but that's one that I know is very, very popular and is like three hours long. And that's, I think, so people can, or, you know, if you're a lorry driver and you're driving for 10 hours a day or whatever, these things are a godsend. I'm very much the other end of that scale, which is let's try and make this as short as possible uh, and and just concentrate down that the kind of the, the good bits. Uh, and I think that probably appeals to people who, maybe listen to it on a commute and want to listen to it, you know, they want to start it when they leave the house and then when they get to work 35 minutes later, their podcast is just coming to an end. Yeah, yeah. And that's, it may be, you know, you said earlier, do you think about your audience? And I said, no, but I've realized now that I must do because <laughs> um, that's that's kind of who I imagine when I'm putting the show together. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, you subconsciously thought about your audience. I guess so, yeah. I mean, I read, I also remember reading somewhere that optimum length of a podcast was like 20 three minutes or something i mean the thing is, is even to say that 23 minutes is the optimum length it depends on uh, that uh, it depends on who the listener is you know it might not be like you're saying it's not optimum length length for the guy in in a plow but it might be optimum length for somebody driving half an hour so i, I guess it's it's such a diverse base of, of audiences that come to podcasts for different reasons also i think you can there are different there are different genres of podcasts that can go longer than others so i think something that's really like loosened um i was about to use the word discursive which is a bit posh isn't it but you know like just kind of chatty and loose i think those can go on a bit longer because they feel a bit more loosey-goosey and like for instance i listen to one i listen to the guardian football podcast uh, or soccer for the north american audience i love it and it's like an hour and a half and they're just chatting about the week's football games uh, and i wouldn't want that to be shorter and also i think if you if you've got a really niche interest and there's no media that exists and you find a podcast on it, I think your tolerance for what you'll listen to and for how long for. Yeah, whereas I think with what I'm making, a sort of fictional, half-written, half-improvised thing, you know, I, I'm really aware that it could outstay its welcome in terms of length. So that's something I'm always thinking about. If you could give one piece of advice to somebody starting a podcast today, uh, what what would you kind of feel is the most important thing to impress upon them? There are two things in podcasting which conflict but both are true right and they are point one which is that podcasting is relatively easy and that is true in lots and lots of ways uh, and it's true because it doesn't cost very much to do it just costs you the cost of a microphone and hosting on libsyn or soundcloud or whatever also there's no one stopping you from doing it because you don't have to convince someone to let you do it you can just do it and no one can stop you so it's very very easy in one way and and to that end i would encourage people to give it a go because you know there really is nothing standing in your way so i like to be really really encouraging and trying to encourage people to have a go and to do it and then the second thing which is also true is that it, it is quite hard <laughs> uh, in other ways which is that you know it's easy to make something it's hard to make something good you know and the way I'd turn that into advice would just be to say, I think people need to be aware that it's probably a bit harder than they think it might be, or that 
it might take a bit longer than they think it might do. So, you know, once they actually get down to the nitty gritty of putting it together and doing some editing and, um, and all the bits you have to do, I think suddenly people realize, oh, actually, this is a little bit harder than I was led to believe when everyone was telling me how easy it was. Um, and I think that's why a lot of podcasts kind of do three episodes and then disappear. Yeah. And it's the same thing as when people go, I'm going to start a blog. Do you remember that? Like 10 years ago, there's so many blogs that start with, so here I am. This is uh, me. I'm Alan. I'm going to do this blog about cycling in the countryside. And then like that's, it's there forever, but there's never a second post, you know? <laughs> no, no, exactly. Uh, and it's, exa- it's exactly the same thing. It's that thing of like, it's easy to start. It's kind of hard to keep going. And so I think if you're forewarned and you, and you sort of are aware that actually it's, it's, it's a little bit hard and it does take a little bit longer than you think, I think that is useful because like I say, you know, with me, I decided I'd do one once a month and that's really achievable. And I think I would impress on people like to try and have achievable goals where they're going to make something relatively short, relatively simple, relatively easy, and to not say they're going to bring it out every week or not, you know, I'm on these Facebook groups. I'm on one called Podcasters Support Group, which is actually really good. But occasionally someone will come on and be like, right, I'm going to make a daily podcast. And everyone's just like, no, why? No, don't do it. <laughs> um, and so I think if people just have in the back of their mind that they need to be be much more easy on themselves and give themselves a much more easy job, then they've got a much better chance of creating something that that they'll still be making in five years' time. And I think longevity and, and keeping at it is the key to getting anywhere or, you know, getting an audience or reaching a stage where they might be able to have advertising or join a network or all these things that, you know, people might aspire to do. So, yeah, that's what I'd say. Great. Cool. And thanks. Thanks so much for um, taking the time to tell us about everything that's happened. Um, have you got anything you want to, to plug? Well, just just the podcast, really. If you go to www.com beefanddairynetwork.com you can find my website or i'm sure you can find it on wherever you listen to your podcast on and uh, yeah give it a go and i would say start at episode one maybe which is annoying because it's not the best episode because it's the first one we ever did but it kind of is a nice introduction to what we're doing so yeah start there and also i'd like to apologize because i feel like i think i've I've rabbited on quite a lot in this podcast. So. <laughs> um, I, I haven't been too long-winded. No, no, it was great. Thank you very much. Visit podstarter.io to find out how we can help you build the podcast you and your audience needs. To listen to more episodes, search Podstarter wherever you find your podcasts or visit our website. You can also find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Podstarter is produced in Nova Scotia, Canada by podstarter.io